Part four, chapter two of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part four, chapter two. Helena in New York. The New Haven Register after commenting on the superb piece of staging done by jed harris and the quite indescribable beauty and magic of lillian gish's performance as helena spoke of uncle vanya as surely one of the few really great plays in existence a richly polyphonic drama in which one watches the drift and flow of human life as one listens to the different voices in a bach fugue true enough though uncle vanya is hardly a play at all but a succession of incidents with no more plot than a picture which is precisely what it is a tapestry of exquisite workmanship a cartoon of human futility in this case on a russian farm mark twain once wrote god who could make every one of his children happy yet never made a single happy one Chekhov might have taken that as a text for any of his plays. In Vanya, no one of the characters is even passably happy, except Marina, the nurse, and Marina's happiness lies in strong tea and hope in the hereafter. All the rest are actively unhappy, especially Vanya himself, who is hopelessly in love with Helena, wife of a querulous egotist twice her age, helena being a little in love with the doctor who is drinking too much himself heedless of the love of sonya who is too good for him and breaking her heart for him and is about the unhappiest of all the late r k monkittrick of puck had a poem beginning all the house is full of sorrow all the house is full of gloom the rest of it will not bear quotation but in its entirety it would make a typical chekhovian chant chekhov's houses all were full of sorrow the pathetic gloom of thwarted human ambitions and desires of blasted human ideals like any of us who happens to think about it chekhov did not at all know whether life was a tragedy or a comedy so he called his plays comedies and laughed them on us letting the tragedy take care of itself and sink in and add itself to our own to make certain that we had our share and in doing this he created pictures of which as the register remarked one is forever thinking these things cannot have been written they must have been lived with the possible exception of the cherry orchard uncle vanya is i should think the choicest of Chekhov's tapestries, and the part of Helena the subtlest example of his artistry. Certainly no role could have been better suited to Lillian. Helena's beauty, her elusive, eerie personality, her mild, impersonal attitude toward much of what went on about her. It was as if the part had been created for her, or she for the part. It is the advent of Helena and her gouty insufferable husband sir brokoff that is the catastrophe of the play a calamity in astroff's phrase as definite as the ruin wrought by a herd of elephants 
and mrs being complete only because vanya's attempt to shoot serbrakoff hurries them away there is no special reason why sympathy should be with helena except that she is beautiful and indifferent and only passively to blame for the trouble she causes and for the fact that she is bound for life to the bewhiskered serbrakoff perhaps that is enough perhaps the fact that lillian played the part had something to do with it the scene between the two which opens the second act is one of the high spots in the play the contrast between lillian in a canary-colored dressing-gown her splendid hair loose and her trumpery husband reveals an entire epic as tragical as any in the human story and wherever the blame may lie interests the audience not at all the chief desire being that the whining old human disaster may pass away as promptly as possible overnight leaving the lovely helena and the doctor or somebody to live happily ever after it was at the court theatre on the evening of april fifteenth that uncle vanya opened in new york city it was the event of the spring season a first-night audience in new york is a different matter from one in new haven new haven being a university town a check-off first-night audience would be largely intellectual with a good sprinkling of picture fans who had adored lillian on the screen in new york there would be all the typical first-nighters who get a thrill out of any first night and especially where it is the first appearance of a comely lady famous in a different even if kindred field also there would be the professionals of stage and screen each with a very special interest and all the chekhovians some of them doubtful and critical resolved not to be carried off their feet by any trick of beauty and spotlight but to stand firm for art only after these an army of fans who all the years had longed to see lillian perform in the flesh and of course there would be intellectuals too and critics on the whole i submit except for the fans a rather hard-boiled audience one calculated to put fear into the troubled heart but then the curtain went up on a russian garden scene and presently across the stage floated a vision of loveliness and all the fans broke loose and all the chekhovians and first-nighters and professionals and critics of high and low degree forgot they were hard-boiled and broke loose too and pounded their hands together long after the vision had passed as if they hoped it might return if only to bow the times next morning spoke of the storminess of the greeting at her entrance and charles darnton in his afternoon column had this to say of it and of the play as a whole the applause that greeted her at her appearance not only followed her every step of the way but into the wings even then it kept up warmly strongly insistently for a moment i was seized with the sickening fear she might pop into view again like a grand opera singer after an aria to bow to the tribute evidently the audience expected no less of her but it might just as well have expected to call back the ghost of hamlet the event had its peculiar phase 
Walter Conley was playing the principal character and playing it finely, whereas Lillian Gish was appearing in a minor role, or what would have been a minor role in the hands of an ordinary actress. Yet throughout the whole performance, interest centered in Miss Gish. This is said with every consideration for Mr. Conley. He could not help himself. He was as powerless and blameless in the matter as though he had been playing with Doucet. But I couldn't help wondering how he felt about it. Not that I suspected him of professional jealousy. It was just that the gods, or Jed Harris, had set down an artist touched by genius, and there was nothing to be done about it. When Miss Gish again appeared, this time to stay and let us hear as well as see her, when the presence of her filled the stage like light flooding through a window into a room, she was so luminous that the others, including Mr. Connolly, faded into the background. Never before had I seen quite the same thing done in quite the same way. Certainly she is not a pushing person. Instead of crowding into the limelight, she seems always to be withdrawing from it. Yet, wherever she goes, her own radiance follows her and lights her up. Try as you may, you cannot get her out of your eye. Just what this rare thing is, I hesitate to say. But a first-nighter did say to me, She is sublime. Whatever it may be, it is there in the eyes, the face, the hair, the voice the form of Lillian Gish. True enough, but it was a qualification that in future would make it difficult for her to get a part in any play having more than one major role. Mr. Darnton says that he was assured by Mr. Harris that bringing Lillian Gish back to the stage was the finest thing he had been able to do in the theater, adding, I am convinced that her performance is one of the most magnificent things I have ever seen. If there was any dissenting voice as to Lillian's triumph, I have been unable to discover it, but I think there was none. She had everything demanded by the part, the personality, the subtle understanding, the years of training which had equipped her for its perfect interpretation. Percy Hammond of the Herald Tribune wrote, In future, when I am told that association with the films is destructive influence, I shall cite Miss Gish's appearance in Uncle Vanya to prove the contention wrong. End of Part 4 Chapter 2 Recording by John Brandon